So this is a reading from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And also we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. Alrighty, I'd love to start with a little breathing exercise, if you're, if you're up for that. So just make sure you're, getting, you're sitting comfortably. And now, let's start by taking a deep breath in. Just hold it there for a second. And now take another deep breath in. I didn't say you could breathe out, by the way. And now if you can, just take a third deep breath in. And finally, a fourth. <laughs> Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. The dynamics of forgiveness, I would like to suggest, are a little bit like breathing, breathing in and breathing out. Attempting to just breathe in, it doesn't really work. And to breathe it out, we've first got to breathe it in. But forgiveness is a lot more difficult than breathing. Um, and it's a lot more complicated as well. It cuts against the pain. No, the pain of it cuts against every emotional instinct that we have. And it's more complicated. Should we really forgive when there's no repentance? Where does reconciliation fit in with this stuff? Are we just saying that, that it's okay when blatantly it's not? What about grave moral injuries? When whole lives have been wrecked, when trust has been destroyed, when the painful consequences of somebody's actions still have to be lived with and is still going to have to be lived with, are not some offenses simply unforgivable? It's not easy, this stuff. It's not simple. And it is at the very heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're spending these three weeks, this is the middle one, thinking deeply about the Lord's Prayer, the famous model prayer that Jesus himself gave to us, his followers, to teach us how to pray. His disciples like, teach us how to pray. And he's like, okay, literally, when you pray, here's some words for you to use. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever noticed how the, the entire first half of the Lord's Prayer isn't about us at all? So often, I don't know about you, it's certainly true of me, so often our prayers are full of ourselves. Perhaps the only reason we're praying at all is that we're like in a bit of trouble. And so we're kind of like, Lord, help me out here with this situation that I'm in. And that's normal. I think it's okay to pray. I think it's even good to pray like that. Um, it's better than not praying, right? But it's not the sort of prayer that Jesus is inviting us into with this model prayer. The Lord's Prayer, this model prayer that Jesus gives to us, is the sort of prayer in which we recenter ourselves, we reorientate ourselves to a bigger story, to a bigger project, to a wider purpose of love within, within which we then find our place. And so it's not until that first half, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we come to these lines, give us today 
our daily bread and we find our, we find our place within this, this wider story. And our place is one of humble dependence, of intimacy, of joyful trust in our Father. And it's a place of relational healing, as we see in these next words, this line that will be the main focus of what we're thinking about this afternoon. Forgive us our sins or our debts or our trespasses, some translations will have it, as we forgive the sins or debts or trespasses that were done against us. So there's this family who are really struggling to make ends meet. And it's not just because of the cost of living crisis, uh, but because of a horribly timed redundancy that has come their way, with no luck yet of finding more work. To add insult to injury, just before the news of the redundancy came through for them, they'd taken out this sizable loan on a new car that now sat just outside their house, largely undriven because there was no money to fill, fill up the tank. Multiple credit cards are now maxed out for them, and today was that day that they'd had the visit to the bank for the meeting where they talked about the prospect of repossessing their home, now a very likely prospect. They can't get any further loans, and they're now sat at the kitchen table. The kids know something is up because Dad has just sat there in this kind of empty silence as Mum opens two of the last tins that they've got in the cupboard that'll be their meal that evening. And just at that point, there's this knock on the door before the neighbour from across the way kind of rudely <laughs> lets himself in, struggling with this massive crate of Waitrose shopping. And he dumps it on their kitchen table in front of them. And he says, there you go, guys. I thought that maybe you guys could use this. I've heard about the job and I've seen what's going on with the bailiffs and, and stuff. And, I, and so here, and here, this is for you. And also, here's a store card. And I've loaded it up with enough credit that it uh, should see you guys through to the end of the summer holidays, no problem. And then he gets out of his back pocket a checkbook, remember those? And he gets out a calculator, because this guy is old school. And he says, right then, let's have it out. What sort of numbers are we talking about? And the dad is like, what do you mean? And he says, how far are you guys under? Just tell me, just tell me everything. And this is awkward, like the dad doesn't really know where to start. And he kind of swallows his pride and he's desperate, there's nothing else to do. So he starts, well, let's start with the house, says the neighbor. How much is left to pay on the house? And the car loan, and the, how much is the bank loan, and all the credit cards, is that all of them, are you sure, and the unpaid bills? And if I'm right, that comes to about, about this. He writes that figure on the check. And then in a final burst of enthusiasm, Wilde says, well, just to be sure, how about we add another zero to the end of that? And then he tears the check out and he leaves it on the kitchen table in front of them and he leaves out the, out the, the way he came and says, well, you guys, you guys have a lovely day. This is the dumbfounding beauty of the gospel, where our deepest and our worst sort of life-sucking indebtedness, the guilt of our sin, is suddenly all written off in this extravagant moment of sheer gift at God's expense in Jesus Christ. Suddenly, I don't know if you've, don't know if you've like drunk deeply of this, if you've breathed of this, suddenly it's like the future opens up. Kind of like that feeling when you hear you've got a, a new job. Suddenly, hope and joy burst into our present reality. It's, it's like suddenly we can breathe again. And this line in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive others, is this invitation to enter into this wondrous gift. 
As I said, it comes off the back of praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, your kingdom of love, would it come? Your perfect governance, your just ordering, your, your beautiful arrangement of things. That's what we need here in the middle of our mess. That's what those, those lines in that prayer are getting at. A bit of heaven landing on earth. That's the context of all this forgiveness stuff. It's a foretaste of God's future in our here and now. I think it's a stimulant for our imaginations when we encounter forgiveness, when we experience the wonder of forgiveness. The sweetness of forgiveness and reconciliation gives us this deep sense of how relating, our relating with God and with one another can and should be. And on the flip side of that, it also highlights the current sad, broken state of things and how far from that we typically are in our relating with one another. One writer described it as this million-sided lawsuit that we are all caught up in, as the cycles of hurt and offense and vengeance. All of that rolls on and on through human history. Forgiveness has the power to interrupt these cycles and break the chains of bitterness. It's a bit like oxygen being pumped into a toxic environment. Maybe you've never filled your lungs with this fresh air from a distant shore. It is right here for you this afternoon. This is what we're celebrating in this place, coming around this table of grace. As we breathe deeply of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God over our lives, it changes us. At least it should. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, Jesus tells this similar story to the one I told about the family and the, the debt being suddenly forgiven. He tells a story about someone whose debt, who owes a lot of money and whose debt is suddenly written off. And um, if we were to track with Jesus' story, the part B of it goes a bit like this. It's like the dad in our story, still reeling from the shock of what just happened. He's desperate enough to think this could be true, so he takes the check down to the bank to pay it in. And he found that it didn't bounce. It's amazing, it's all true. So on his way home, he knocks on the door of his old mate, his old schoolmate who he'd fallen out with a couple of months ago over this dispute about 20 quid, which seemed so important then. And as he knocked on the door, he said, mate, it's me. You're not gonna believe this, what just happened. This, but, it's, but it's true that my neighbor just like burst into my house and he's written off all our debts, he's covered the lot. It's amazing, it's changed everything. So you know that 20 quid, I just wanted to say, don't worry about it. Except that that's not what happens in Jesus' part B of this teaching story that he tells, his parable in Matthew chapter 18. The dad doesn't do that, he doesn't pay it forward. Instead, he walks down the street, knocks on the door, and proceeds to hold his friend up against the wall, demanding that 20 pounds um, as well as everything else that he's just received. And when his friend really can't pay it, with a cold, bitter heart, he gets out his car keys, and as he's leaving, just scratches his way down his friend's car to make him pay for it. Jesus' parable in Matthew 18 of the unmerciful servant is designed to help us join some of the dots in our thinking. When we see the, the kind of blind short-sightedness of the one who just had all of his massive debts cleared and then proceeds to show zero mercy to someone who owes him a relatively small amount of money. It's like breathing in, but failing 
to breathe out, and it doesn't work out so well. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others, is what Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, Paul writes in Ephesians. Elsewhere, Paul writes, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This breathing in and this breathing out, this receiving grace from God and then extending grace to others, this reconciliation and profound change of heart is at the heart of the gift of the gospel. It substantially is the new life of love that is ours to enjoy in Christ. And I just want to say three quick things about this space, this invitation of forgiveness, this way of forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is a wondrous thing. A friend of mine, when he became a Christian as a, a, a young man, he, he, to quote him, he, he fell in love with forgiveness. And um, he went about writing letters See, everyone and anyone, he took like this inventory of his life to date, first 20 years of his life, and he, and he set about writing these letters to anyone and everyone that he had hurt in some way. And um, all of those kind of Cold War relationships that had set in um, in his life where they just like, got too awkward, he just wrote these letters across these, he kind of threw them out as bridges, apologizing for the ways that he'd trod over people, cheated and um, generally not done well by them. And it didn't turn everything around. But why did he do this? He'd caught a glimpse of the new possibility in the air for healing that exists with this forgiveness stuff, for the healing of his relationships, for the ice to melt, for peace, the peace that he'd come to know with God, for that to ripple out across his social network. As I said, it didn't heal everything, but a whole lot of beauty and healing and hope did ripple out from those letters. If you want something to land, write a letter. Much, much more powerful than email. Forgiveness is this wondrous, miraculous thing. As followers of Jesus, we don't just forgive because it's got some therapeutic benefits for us. That absolutely it does have as our hearts are set free, as this kind of new joy can come into our, into our lives. And we don't just forgive because there's this general depth of compassion and loving concern for the other, uh, which is in itself often a breathtaking, wondrous thing. But we forgive because we're all about that prayer that we read together. Lord, let your kingdom come. And forgiveness stands, the, the miracle of forgiveness, the wonder of forgiveness stands as this potent and prophetic witness to God's beautiful future of reconciliation. And we are called to be an anticipation now of that future, which will be this perfect and complete Reconciliation. So every brave decision to journey towards forgiveness is a wondrous thing. Second thing to say, forgiveness is unfair. And this is perhaps an obvious thing to say. Because when someone steals your lunch, or steals your best friend, or steals the credit, or steals uh, something else that is rightfully yours, that promotion, whatever it is, when someone treads all over us on their race to the top, when someone betrays us or uses us, or lets us down or leaves us out. Every emotional instinct in us wants to make them pay for that. And we have our little ways of making them pay, do we not? We tell, we tell stories of what they did. We rehearse that little list 
of, of grudges to anyone who will listen. We have our ways of keeping the offence alive so that they never feel quite safe around us again. When we need to, we can throw them knowing, accusing eyes. We hold the grudge in reserve for when we might need it. Because that's only fair, right? It's only what they deserve after what they did. Forgiveness is by definition unfair. It is costly to forgive, absorbing that hurt, that blow that was done to us, and somehow overcoming that impulse that we have to make them pay for it. This is how forgiveness has the power to interrupt the cycles of hurt and retaliation. It's not to minimize, it's not denial, it's not saying that something is okay when it wasn't okay. Precisely not that. The cross would suggest to us that our sin does matter. But as we are those who are breathing in the costly gift of grace, God's gift to us in Jesus Christ that cost him everything, that is where we can find the resources that we need to begin to contemplate and summon up the courage to perhaps try to pay it forward, even though it's really difficult. It's where the life and the joy is. It's a work of prayer. We need the help of God in this. Um, if you've ever been to the Alpha course, we sometimes show the video here at the beginning, and it's got a clip from Corrie Ten Boom, who's a remarkable woman, um, survived uh, time in a concentration camp, and she become a kind of Christian preacher uh, person, and she finds herself at this meeting, and, and much to her surprise and shock, she'd probably been preaching all about the wonder of God's goodness, the gospel of forgiveness, and much to her shock, walking towards her at the end is one of the guards from this concentration camp who'd done unspeakable horror to her and her family, caused um, horrendous, irrecoverable loss. And as he walks towards her, she knows she can't forgive him. There's like this, like, it's impossible for her. She, she kind of knows maybe she, she's sure that kind of lines up with everything that she's been preaching about, but she knows she can't in that moment. And she's like, God, I can't, I can't do it. And then she's got this wonderful line that you so never touch the, the ocean of God's love as you forgive your enemies. As she kind of turned her inability to forgive into a prayer, she tapped into this, this ocean of resource, these resources of heaven on hands to help her do the impossible in that moment. Forgiveness is not fair, but it is the path out of the bitterness into a greater joy and a greater freedom. Forgiveness is a wondrous thing. Forgiveness is unfair by definition. And the final thing I want to say is that forgiveness is a complicated process. Often it's a long-term process. For the big things, it's often a lifelong process. My same friend, the one who, as a young man, fell in love with the concept of forgiveness and wrote all those letters, he's currently finds himself on the receiving end of a really horrific betrayal of trust. It's one of those huge, whole life shaking situations in which my friend now is forced to look back over the last 10 years of his life and he's got a thousand questions now with, with little hope of answers as there's no repentance or remorse on the part of the betrayer. And without that, there's no hope of reconciliation. The implications for my friend are profound. Having been lied to 
for so long in this situation, just trying to get his head around that. And the impact of all of this on his heart is something that will have to be worked out, I think, over a matter of, of years. Moving towards forgiveness for him, deciding for forgiveness, will be this lifelong process as the ongoing consequences are bound to remain like daggers. Forgiveness won't be a done deal for him. It won't be this one-time decision and then that's, that's done and dusted. No, it's more of a complicated process. There's, there's different stages in this process and there's no one-size-fits-all, but it's got to involve an honest reckoning with the hurt that was, that was caused. Not minimizing, not denying, not burying reality. It's got to involve a coming to terms with the damage that's done, the pain, the loss, the grief, the impact, and also coming to terms and allowing ourselves an honest emotional response to that, the anger, the desire for vengeance that we all might be familiar with. So there's that coming to terms, then there are the brave decisions. Once that is in place, there can be the brave decisions. Perhaps decisions to begin opening up just the possibility of thinking about what forgiveness might mean for a particular situation. It might be, as I said, many decisions along the way journeying towards forgiveness. Many prayers along the way. God, I can't do this. But I sense that even though this hurts so bad and it's just going against kind of uh, the anger in my heart, actually, would you help me? I sense that the only way forward into more of the life and the joy of your kingdom of love is along this path towards forgiveness. There may or may not be adequate repentance or an, an expression of remorse or a substantial apology. I don't think this has to come first. The absence of repentance does prevent us from embarking on a, a meaningful reconciliation. There can't be good reconciliation where there's not been repentance. That's important to say. But it need not hold us back from walking towards, into, away from the, bit, the chains of bitterness that hold us and into the freedom and the joy of this way, of this movement, of this gift that is forgiveness. So it's a difficult and often complicated long-term process. It would be irresponsible for any pastor to stand up here and present this kind of one-size-fits-all process for this is how you go about forgiveness. You're going to need people to journey with um, and, and work out what the faithful, obedience steps of prayerful possibility are for you in some of the big things that we face. But I do want to say that miracles of forgiveness happen and the resources of heaven are at hand to help us. It is a wondrous thing to behold. There's been a couple of times in my life when I've really needed forgiveness. And I've done, thinking of one of these situations, I did everything that was kind of in my power to um, apologize. And then I had to wait. And then on that day, when forgiveness was offered, it was like color and joy flooded back into to my world. Everything was like 10 times funnier than it had been just the day before. There is this kingdom of love that is at hand. The kingdom, repent for the kingdom is at hand, said Jesus. He said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And he invites us to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins as we 
forgive those who we need to, for, who we need to forgive.